0: Welcome to a Redemption's Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to Redemption'sHill.com. All right, good morning. I feel like after that worship set, I'm just ready to like run through a wall <laughs> in a good way. Uh, out of excitement and joy, really. Um, so, welcome everyone uh, this morning. Um, I see a lot of new faces here today. Um, so, a little introduction. I'm not normally the one preaching, so if you've done your homework and have listened to some podcasts, you'd have to go back to November uh, to hear me the last time, and then like June to hear me again. So, I doubt that maybe you're ext- that extensive in your preparation this morning. Um, so, introduction. My name is Blake Sellers. Um, I'm an elder here at Redemption's Hill Church And uh, my wife and I, Lauren, have been here uh, for 10 years or something now. Um, Our two kids are over um, in the other building uh, being fed the gospel, um, as hopefully if you have children, um, you can appreciate that they're being fed the gospel there as well. Um, So if you are new and visiting, welcome. We hope that, that you would find Redemption's Hill to be a place where the gospel permeates everything that you hear and that you see and that you sing about here. Um, That's really our our main hope. Um, While those songs are amazing, kind of hype you up, and kind of maybe um, get you to a high emotional state, we hope that there's also a gospel undergirding of that hype that then you can lean on and rest in, and then that can empower you to to go out. And really, that's a lot of what uh, this sermon is going to be about today, so so we're done. That's it. You guys can go home. I'm sure our kids' workers would be a little bit happy about that. I was um, approached by a couple of people and said there's been a request from the kids' workers. Last time I preached, it was about an hour, which is kind of long. So there was a request to like, hey, could you shorten that up a little bit? We'll do our best. Um, So uh, As TJ explained last week, and because we have some visitors, I think it's worth reiterating again this week, uh, we preach in a way that the style is called exegetical, and that doesn't mean that that the way that I preach sounds exactly like the way TJ preaches, but what it means is that that we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through books of the Bible at a time. We want to cover them in their uh, depth and complexity, and try to not shy away from specific topics uh, just because maybe it makes us uncomfortable um, TJ shared that last week, and so um, what we want to make sure that we, are, we do, as we are called to do as people who follow the Lord, is look to Him, to, for Him to tell us how we should engage with culture, and not look at culture to tell us what we should believe about God. And so that's what we want to make sure that we do this morning, uh, hear the truth from the Word of God, the very breathed out, Holy Spirit-inspired Word from God, our good Father, And to hear the truth about who he is, the truth about how he created the world and everything in it, the truth about the purpose that he has designed each and every one of us for. So hopefully um, we can do that today. Hopefully um, I can be uh, God's hands and feet and mouthpiece in communicating that goodness to you all um, this morning. Um, If you are new to church or new to the Bible um, or just haven't maybe received a, a Full explanation. I'm not. This isn't going to be the whole sermon, but just a little snippet. Uh, The Bible is this collection of 66 books that has spanned more than 2,000 years of human history, and um, they're divided between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I'm sure, even if you haven't been in church before, you know that much. Uh, But the Old Testament is is this first half of the Bible that tells the story of God choosing for Himself a specific people who have a very specific purpose. And that purpose is to show God's unique and holy attributes through the way that they operate, through the way that they conduct their culture and traditions and practices. But these people, they're, they're not perfect. And so they fail oftentimes to follow God and instead are wooed away by other things that neighboring cultures and traditions uh, might be, feel like are attractive to them. And so though these are redeemed people set aside for God's purpose, they are also humans and imperfect. And so there's this kind of constant cycle and constant struggle throughout the Old Testament of uh, God wooing his people back to him and them saying, yes, yes. You are good. Yes, I want to follow you. Yes, you are, are better and more superior than anything else around us. And then about 40 years later, the culture decides, actually, I want to follow this person or this culture or this little G, God. And um, that is this constant cycle within the Old Testament, this wooing and wandering and wooing and wandering kind of thing. And then we have the second half of, of the Bible, it's called the New Testament, and it is a continuation or a fulfillment of everything that happened in the Old Testament. These are not separate um, books, they are all together, whole intertwined books that tell this through line in the story of God's goodness and his mercy to his people. So within the New Testament, we see, again, this fulfillment of the first half of the story that kind of uh, reaches its climax with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This life, death, and resurrection has has taken place so that humanity might be saved, uh, might be redeemed. And so where we are today is within uh, one of the first four books of the New Testament. It's called the book of Luke, and um, the, this gospel is one of just four perspectives of the gospel of Jesus, those four perspectives of uh, people trying to make sense of what it is that the person, the historical figure, Jesus Christ was. Four people attempting to make the best sense of the crazy things that he did, the crazy things that he said, and uh, the then revolutionary nature that those words and deeds had on the culture and are still having today. So uh, that's where we are going to be uh, today. We, we've had five messages so far. This is our fifth message in the book of Luke. And so, the book of Luke, as we kind of stated in the first message, it opens with this statement where Luke is saying that his book, his gospel, according to Luke, is an orderly account. And this orderly account, this orderly um, account of the story of the person and work of Jesus Christ is evidenced by eyewitness testimony um, that has been corroborated by many. And um, I, I want to kind of point that out and also kind of draw light as well, that I'm, I'm sure that we know some people who, whenever they're telling a story, they don't give necessarily an orderly account. Uh, they may tell a story in a bit of a haphazard way, and they're not trying to be ironic like a Tarantino kind of thing, uh, but they just kind of get too excited until the end and then have to back up, and then the punchline is, is done, and I'm not looking at you, babe, uh, but I saw you smiling at me. Uh, but... Uh, some details might be left out or the chronology or order of events might uh, be out of whack uh, where when they're telling this story, it may be a little bit difficult to follow. And Luke sets out from the the very beginning of his account to let us know and have an expectation that his account is anything but haphazard. It is an orderly account that follows a chronology that can be verified by many other people. And so this book, it gives ample details and descriptions and a consistent through line. It's also very long. (laughs) If this is the first message that you are hearing, I would strongly encourage you to check out our podcast because, again, since it's a thorough and orderly account, they do kind of build off on one another, um, either on Spotify or Apple or on our website. That will get you up to speed. But um, I know that many of you, this is not your first message. I hope you're enjoying it because we'll be here for a while. Um we'll probably get through chapter 15 and Christmas, uh, which means that we'll have basically almost another whole half of the book left. Uh so buckle in because we're here until like summer, fall 2025. So, like I said, this is our fifth message in the series covering the gospel according to Luke. And today, specifically, we're gonna spend time in the very end. We're wrapping up the book or the chapter the first chapter. We'll be covering verses 57 through 80. Um, They will be on the screen. I'll also encourage you, if you have a device um, that has the Bible on it, go ahead and pull that up, Luke 1, 57 through 80. Or if you have um, the paper version, uh, go ahead and flip to that. Uh, But while you're pulling that up or turning there, I'll kind of filibuster with a quick recap. So um, what we are leading up to today is the birth of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, he has been promised to a couple, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Elizabeth is very old. She's well past childbearing age and has never been able to conceive. And so the Lord has come to Zechariah, her husband, and has promised to Zechariah that he would not only have a son, which seems unbelievable, but also that that son would be the very forerunner of the Savior of the world, which seems maybe even more unbelievable to a no-name people, a no-name person in a no-name town. So Zechariah, in his unbelief, either unbelieving that his wife can even get pregnant or maybe unbelieving that a savior is finally coming, he questions God and the angel of the Lord takes his voice and his hearing. For nine months, he can't speak or hear And I cannot imagine, especially receiving a message like this, that your wife is going to have a child, this thing that you've been praying for and hoping for for years and years and years and maybe had given up on, and now that it's happening, you can't even share in the verbal joy with your spouse. Uh, That would be brutal. So that's kind of where we are up until today. Up until this point in Luke, Zechariah is still mute and deaf, and that is going to change. Because we're wrapping up this first chapter of Luke, or yeah, this first chapter in the book of Luke. And this is the last verses before the Savior of the world arrives. Next week, I heard a little woo, thanks. Uh, Next week, we're going to be in chapter two. So this is like our Christmas in February or March message. um, We are very excited about this. So we're going to go ahead and read this together. It's 23 verses, um, so kind of buckle in. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. So I feel like it would be a little bit awkward um, if you were John, or if you were Zechariah. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And so they made signs in motion to his father, inquiring what he wanted for the son to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wandered and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, after nine months, these are his words, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. to grant us that we being delivered from the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the, sun, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearances to Israel. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that you have given us many accounts and evidences of who you are throughout scripture. You have also said that it is good for us in the day-to-day as well, that it is good for our, our teaching, that it would edify us, that it will sanctify us if we follow you. So God, I just pray and ask that you would help us to do that. That if there are parts of our hearts today that are maybe hard, maybe parts of our souls that are weary, God, that we would submit and release those to you. And instead of holding on to those things, God, that we would reach and grasp for the truth of your word and that it would be good and profitable for our souls that we might be made more in the image of you. God, we ask that. We expect that because your word says it. God, help us to be obedient to you. Amen. All right, so in, in our first message in the, in the book of Luke, TJ set up for us that there had been this 400-year gap in prophecy between the Old Testament book of Malachi until the beginning of the New Testament. A 400-year gap between the last documentation, of a very special word from the Lord, and a special word giver, a prophet. These prophets and prophecies throughout the Old Testament were these regular reminders to the people of God that maybe whenever they would forget, that they would remember who God was and what he had said he would do. The Hebrew people, the people of God, they someday expected and waited for a Messiah, one who would come to set everything right that had gone wrong, one who would come from God himself, who would once again unite humanity with God himself, and one who would reinstate all of creation in the way that it was always supposed to be, this this word that they used all throughout Scripture, shalom, this, this all-encompassing peace with God. I know that we've talked about a lot of context, whether through the Old Testament and bridging the gap into the New Testament this morning, but I think that's important because this primary concept and, and attribute of God that this text in particular deals with this morning is one that needs that context. Today, the focus of our time together is, is that of mercy and God being a merciful God. Many people might associate the New Testament gospel and the teachings of Jesus to be the preeminent teachings of mercy from the Bible. Many may associate the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament as being altogether different, maybe, having different attributes from one another. Some might think that whereas the New Testament God, where Jesus' teachings are about love without reproof, with a a bit of a you-do-you mentality— Old Testament God is this angry and capricious and irrationally angry person who might fly off in fits of rage. So if you heard this opinion about God being a different God from the Old Testament and the New Testament, I just want to first consider, again, if we, if we believe that in our saying, making the claim that God is a God of mercy, if we're making this claim, and, and I want to paint a picture that he's always been a God of mercy— I think it's first to maybe establish what we're talking about when we're talking about mercy. So, of course, as anyone who gives any type of speech does, you Google definition of mercy, right? So mercy is the compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm them. Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm So mercy can only be given by the one who has been wronged. You can't be really forgiven by someone whom you haven't wronged. If I say something mean or hurtful to my wife, my child can't forgive me for that. So if we are kind of operating off of this necessity for forgiveness, then that also operates on an assumption that we have something to be forgiven for, that all of humanity has something to be forgiven for. And our parents, they can't forgive us for that. Our culture can't forgive us for that. Our TikTokers or social media influencers can't give you forgiveness for that. It can only be against the one that you have sinned. Only God can forgive. So with that in mind, I I wanna point us to the New Testament book of Romans chapter six, verses 20 through 23, and it won't be on the screens, Uh, you can pull it up on your devices or you can just listen to my voice. Romans chapter six, verses twenty-two through 23. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and in its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the New Testament. This is that kind of maybe culturally assumed free grace gospel. The wages of sin is death the payment that we are due to receive as a result of our sin because we are such good workers at sin, we need wages paid in return. And fortunately, that's death. Both the intentional and unintentional sin, sins of commission and things of omission, things that we do and and things that we don't do, sin's just reward is death and eternal suffering apart from God. If we are still living, which we all are. And if God has provided a way out of death and out of eternal suffering apart from him, then no, God isn't capricious. He's not vengeful without cause. He is equally just and equally merciful. He is a God of justice and mercy. Forgiveness of sin is necessary because we are sinners. And it is not just the New Testament and teachings of Jesus which paint this picture of God being just and merciful. The whole story of the Bible is this constant move towards humanity from God himself. A constant move towards us to receive life in him. Over and over, he has invited humanity to walk away from the death that we are willingly walking in and allow him to draw us towards life, to reap the fruit of him As Romans 6 says, to stop reaping the fruit of our sin and selfishness, our idol-making and our hatred, our lust and our pride, to instead pick up the fruit of a life lived in the way that is best for you and for me, to reap the harvest of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, he invites us instead to receive his mercy and walk with him in the cool of the day and eternity future. This has been God's invitation to humanity from the very beginning of time. 2,000 years before Zechariah makes this prophecy at the birth of John the Baptist, 2,000 years before that, God had made an initial promise to Abraham, saying that he was going to have a son, and through his line, Jesus might come. A savior may come into the world. And so we have 2,000 years of this tradition of expectation and a call to receive God's mercy. This promised one of God who will herald the good news of salvation, this is John the Baptist who will point all who will hear to Jesus. And so it is upon Zechariah seeing his baby boy eight days after he is born and naming him, no, his, his name is John, that then his tongue is loosed and he can hear and the first things out of his mouth are not a blessing over his son. We get to that after the first seven verses, but in the first seven verses, the first words out of Zechariah's mouth are to encourage and praise the name of a good and merciful God. And so if we look to verses 67 through 75, it says, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. In holiness and righteousness before him, all our days. So these words from Zechariah, they were not merely a song or an outflow of excitement of a father due to the birth of his child, although these words definitely have to do with that. These words are, though so much more than just an excited father. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Zechariah, in these seven verses, he doesn't even mention his son John, but instead he breaks his nine months of silence by extolling to his friends and family the graciousness of God the Father. And he can't contain it. He is keenly aware of the mercy that God is bestowing onto his people and that the birth of his child is only the beginning. And knowing that he and so many after him will receive this mercy, he bursts out in song and praising about the identity and who God is. He wants to make sure that people know what is really happening. This isn't just a guy who couldn't talk for nine months and is now talking. This isn't just the birth of a child. This marks the countdown to heaven coming down to earth to reconcile the whole world. It's the conclusion to the first advent. Just like Zechariah, this is what happens when we are overcome with gratitude at having great mercy shown to us. We want others to know. We want to share this news. We can't contain it. How excited are we to share the news of our Favorite sports team or celebrity. The newest wonder drug or weight loss hack. The latest breakthrough in our hobby or a big project at work. How many people do we tell when we win a competition or a lottery, a raffle, or something like that? We can't not tell someone. It kind of like eats us a little bit to hold that in, that joy and that excitement and that exuberance. We don't tell others out of duty or begrudging obedience. We didn't sign something when we entered a raffle saying, don't worry, I'll tell a thousand people about this. But we do tell others out of joy and gladness and thankfulness because we are rejoicing in those facts, in those things. And friends, we have much, much better news than a raffle one or weight loss hack or trade in our fantasy football leagues. Although I know that I've heard those things from you and I've spouted them to you as well. And that is not to say that we shouldn't rejoice in some of those things. It's part of our lives, and Scripture says that every good and perfect gift comes from God. At least some of those are probably good, maybe not perfect, but good. But friends, we are in receipt of a far grander gift than that of a bonus or raise. The Almighty God, the author of the very fabric of all of creation, The wise and knowledgeable one who sets physics and laws of nature into motion. The creative and awe-inspiring one who built Niagara Falls and the Rocky Mountains and white sand beaches. I've covered all of you vacation people. The intimate and the detailed one who orchestrated every bit of DNA inside of your body. The one who presides over past, present, and future concurrently. That God, he has sought you out while we wanted nothing to do with him while we were content to keep reaping the fruit of our sin that god he moved heaven and earth so that you and i can walk into freedom if you are in christ and have experienced that for yourself you know how life changing a freedom that is that this god has moved towards you and i and Billions like us for thousands of years. Billions of others have experienced the same freedom. Billions of others have experienced salvation and will experience life with him in eternity future. Friends, this is amazing news. You and I, we we needed the salvation. Some of us we don't have it yet. We still need the salvation. We are so desperate. For it, that without it, we're going to hell. Without the salvation from God, we would only reap the fruit of our sin, death. Our satisfaction, our fulfillment, our purpose, our joy, those things would just be up to us. But thankfully, for those who have put their faith in Jesus, God has had mercy on us. God gives us mercy not after we have proven ourselves worthy of his grace and mercy, but he has given us mercy on the merits of his son, Jesus Christ. You didn't need to pretty yourself up for him. You didn't need to master your addictions first. You didn't need to to make everyone else think that you were Jesus. The necessary action to hear the call from the horn of salvation and believe is to accept Jesus. Trust that Jesus Christ's death was sufficient enough sacrifice to atone for the death penalty due for your sin. Ask and believe. So if this is such great news, why am I not shouting it from the rooftops? I might hear. Why aren't we just sharing this news with our neighbors or with anyone else that we could come in contact with? Why am I not insistent on showing my friends, coworkers, and neighbors the mercy of God evident in my life through word and deed? Maybe I'm alone in this and you're not in that boat. Maybe you are uh, overflowing and bubbling with the excitement and joy of the grace and mercy of God. And if that is you, amen. Please keep going and be encouraged in that. Please encourage those in your MC and your DNAs to continue to do that. Tell stories of this working through your life. But if I'm not alone and you are like me, I get so distracted. I feel like maybe I've fallen for this sleight of hand, this trick that tells me that, that this great mercy that I have spent the last 20 or 30 minutes I didn't keep track of time talking about, that this great mercy is... It's great, it's great mercy, but it's also, it's great mercy. That the mercy of God loving me, saving me, freeing me, it's somehow just like this side quest in the game of life. It's, it's over here. I've been distracted into thinking that maybe the main journey of, of life, is that me? Am I back on? Okay. I've been distracted into thinking that the main journey of life is is maybe that for for my hobbies, maybe for my comfort, maybe for my entertainment. You can insert whatever you want into there. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. You go to the Lord with that. But speaking for me, sometimes it feels like I am going through life comfortable and entertained, And looking at those around me who are reaping the fruit of their sin, it leads to death. How selfish I am. So what are we supposed to do with with this kind of sober reflection, if this is where we are at? What am I supposed to do with a heart that isn't daily overjoyed by the mercy of the Lord? What am I supposed to do with not feeling like this is a really big deal that everyone needs to know? Because oftentimes I don't feel that way. The thing that I believe that we can do is to prayerfully put the truth of the gospel in front of ourselves regularly. If we are to truly believe that this gifted mercy is so great, then we need to remind ourselves of it more than just Sundays. Sundays if it feels like this mercy has taken a back seat in your heart and your mind, if if you can relate to to my own personal sobering reflection, I believe that the real path to acts of obedience, especially in this area of evangelism, is to pursue awe in the truth of what the Lord has done. So we're going to spend a little bit of time doing that. Towards the end here, just in a couple of minutes, I'm just going to read scripture over us that I feel like really encapsulates the awe and beauty and goodness of who God is and and how he has saved us out of our wretchedness. But it can be easy that when we hear messages like this or the Holy Spirit maybe uh, reveals these things about ourselves in these types of moments that in these types of sober reflection, we can kind of have these thoughts hijacked a little bit, that instead of, of maybe um, grieving and mourning of, the, of this real reality for us, that we can instead be beat down and felt shame and distance from the Lord, feeling like we are inadequate. thing is, you are. And it didn't change just because you haven't told anybody about your faith recently, Lies like that flood our minds and they tempt us to run and hide from God and fear. So if you are feeling an inkling of those things this morning and our time together, I just want to encourage you. Any thought in your mind that ties your own salvation to your own actions, any thought that ties God's opinion of you to what you have or haven't done from him or to him or for him, I just want to call you as well to pursue awe in the Lord. Those are not the truths of who God is and how he feels about you. So in a moment, I'm going to read a few passages over us. I just want us to focus on the awe of the mercy of God. As I read, I want to encourage you to, if you are alert and awake to, uh, feel free to close your eyes. (laughs) If you're already struggling, uh, maybe look at the ceiling or something so you stay awake. But I want to encourage you to, in, in however you can in this moment, meditate on the words of the Lord. And by meditate, I don't, I don't mean some strange Eastern thing where you're humming. You don't have to do that. I have, you don't have to do that. But by meditate, I mean think about the words of the Lord Think about what they mean and receive them. Let them wash over you as if waves on a shore. In these moments, I just want to encourage you to to seek Him, to pray to the Lord that your fulfillment and your awe and your joy would be in Him. So I'll I'll read a couple passages, they're not going to be on the screens. Um, And then I'll leave like a little bit of space just for those words to sit on us. And then um, I have three different passages that I'm going to read this morning. The first is Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 9. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, Right, the next one is Romans 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have t- obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from his wrath. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And lastly, 1 Peter 1, through 3-5. And you can make your way back up. I wanted to end in that way because I know that it can at times, we can feel like when we hear a message like this, we gotta have our marching orders. We gotta know exactly what to do with this. I believe that if we believe this to be true and we are being reminded daily of this and we are rejoicing in it, you don't need me to give you your marching orders. Yeah, a message like this is going to result in us letting the, the, the awe and beauty of God's grace and mercy wash over us more regularly. I, I, I pray and hope that that's the case. And I also pray and hope that it is the case that then others would know of God's grace and mercy because of you telling them But I also believe that if you are in awe of God's grace and mercy and you are submitting yourself to the Holy Spirit, that he is going to conjure up those people that you are to share with. And those opportunities and those feelings of confidence in who he is to share with others. Lauren reminded me the other day that whenever we can hear messages like this, we can just kind of feel a little bit beat up and a little bit guilty of maybe guilted into some submission or obedience to the Lord. I want none of that here. I want glad, thankful submission to the Lord and I want our hearts to feel what our mouths say. So that's my hope for us this morning. Um, We're gonna have some time of, of song and of praise and of worship. When approached with the mercy of the Lord. Like last week, TJ kind of taught us that mercy and in our awareness of that results in worship. And we're gonna have time to do that today. It also results in proclamation. And I hope that we can have a chance to do that as well. But as we sing, as we worship, feel free to take moments with the Lord where maybe you don't say or sing anything, where you just let his goodness and his mercy wash over you. So I'm going to pray for us. Um, God, I thank you that, that you are a good God who calls us to be joyous for the, the news that you have given to us, the, the news that you have spoken over us. God, I pray and ask that you would help us to um, be drawn and moved by your Holy Spirit in however it is that, that you would have for us. This message hits all of us in a different way. We're at different parts of our walk. Maybe we, we do come in here weary and we just need your, your goodness to wash over us. Maybe we come into here excited and ecstatic about your good news and, and what you would have for us then is to be mobilized and empowered and to go. God, I pray that wherever we are, that we wouldn't walk away and, and within a couple of hours just forget about it just reserve your goodness and mercy and our awareness of it for 10, 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning, but that it would overflow and flow out of us throughout the rest of the week. God, help us with that. Let it transform us in that way. Amen. Uh, this morning, we're gonna have time to take communion, which is uh, really this beautiful um, tradition, but action where we can, partake in the sacrifice of Jesus in a symbolic way. And in our hearts and in in our souls, we can again be reminded and believe of that his sacrifice is for us. The sacrifice that has been received, that it is finished, it is good. So I wanna encourage you to come up. Um, We just ask that your faith be in Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a member here. You don't have to regularly attend here even. But if your faith is in Christ, please come and take. I'm gonna read over us 1 Corinthians 11 and then we'll get into some worship this morning. Verse 23 starts, For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's worship and praise, praise together this